Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In the olden days, there was a public address system used for paging in hospitals. How anyone ever got well with that thing squawking all day is one of the great mysteries. I was in the first hour of the very first day of my clinical rotation, this is part of training for ministry, when the PA crackled and a disembodied voice asked for a priest to get to a room on the cardio ward. Obvious to everyone, I was not a priest and was not, in fact, I was, in fact, years from ordination, but I thought I should go just in case. I stepped into the room, which was teeming with this huge, lovely family, all gathered around the patriarch's bed, and asked if I could help. It's funny, I don't remember anyone questioning this sorry excuse for a priest, but clearly I was going to have to do in the pinch. The gentleman in the room, in the bed, cleared the room and gestured to me to take the seat closest to him, with hardly hardly an introduction, he asked if I would take his confession. My life didn't pass before my eyes, but the opening of the 121st Psalm did pass through my mind. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Help! I said yes. Here's what he told me, just this. More than 60 years earlier, he had lied to get his first job. He told the interviewer he had a college degree, though he had never completed his education, which was a requirement for the work. He was hired and worked his way up in the company. In fact, he had been with that company for his entire career, eventually becoming you guessed it, it's wildly successful CEO. He married his high school sweetheart. They'd raised four beautiful children, enjoyed a slew of grandchildren, even some great-grandchildren. But underneath all the joy of his long life lay a secret he had carried with deep shame until this very moment, within days of his death. I told him the truth, that his life was his apology, that he was forgiven, that he had more than made amends. But I was shaken by his story and by the pall cast over his entire adult life by his secret. In 1975, American poet Adrienne Rich gave a lecture entitled Women and Honor, 
Some Notes on Lying. It was printed in the very first edition of Heresies magazine, and two years later, Pittsburgh's Mother Root Publications brought it out in a pamphlet. In other words, it's made its way into the world from the grassroots up. An extraordinary piece to which I commend you on the price of keeping secrets. Here are some of Adrian Rich's opening words. An honorable human relationship. That is one in which two people have the right to use the word love is a process, delicate, violent, often terrifying to both persons involved. A process of refining the truths they can tell each other. It is important to do this because it breaks down human self-delusion and isolation. It is important to do this because in so doing we do justice to our own complexity. It is important to do this because we can count on so few people to go that hard way with us. My family of origin ran on secrets, was fueled on secrets. The alcoholic uncles, the childless aunt whose husband had contracted syphilis in the merchant marines, rendering him infertile the lesbian grandmother. Some of these were cause for shame. Some of them shouldn't have been, but were. Under a thin veneer of normalcy, whatever that is, there was a lot of shame and silence. And then there was the secret that my father's father was not his father. Shortly before his death last year, my sister Lisa got our father to do a DNA test. The secret was out, and the result was pure delight. Wonderful new cousins have appeared in our lives, including attorney Ken Mayer, who took the lead in successfully aborting Carrie Lake's challenge of her defeat in the Arizona governor's race. Yes. Um, but for me, nothing was extraordinary as the time when we learned the truth about a chapter in our childhood. I'll tell you about that in a moment. If you're studying the science of secret keeping, all roads lead to Michael Slapian, a business professor who maintains the keepingsecrets.org project at Columbia University. He writes, it hurts to keep secrets. Research has linked secrecy to increased anxiety, depression, symptoms of poor health, the more rapid progression of disease, and less satisfying relationships. There is a seemingly obvious explanation for these harms. Hiding secrets is hard work. You have to watch what you say. If asked about something related to the secret, you must be careful not to slip up. This could require evasion or even deception. Constant vigilance and concealment can be exhausting. New research, however, suggests that the harm of secrets doesn't really come from the hiding after all. The real problem with keeping a secret is not that you have to hide it, 
but that you have to live with it and think about it. The concept of secrecy might evoke an image of two people in conversation with one person actively concealing from the other, yet such concealment is actually uncommon. It is far more common to ruminate on our secrets alone. It is our tendency to mind wander to our secrets that is actually most harmful to our well-being. Simply thinking about a secret can make us feel inauthentic. Having a secret come to mind time and time again can be tiring. When we think of a secret, it can make us feel isolated and alone. My sister Lisa was at her high school reunion when a former classmate approached her and asked if they could go for a walk. She knew his name but didn't know him, she, and she really hated to miss a moment of catching up with her friends. He assured her it would not be long. Mark had a secret, he said, and he was tired of keeping it. A secret that some strange loyalty had compelled him to keep to himself. The secret was that our father and Mark's mother were together for many years. Our father is his little sister's father. Our father, our father, had two entirely separate families that lived six miles apart. For Lisa and me, it was as if all the lights had come up on a darkened stage. So much of our father's behavior in the years before he disappeared suddenly made sense. I can only imagine the courage it took for Mark to tell the truth. Adrian Rich writes, when someone tells me a piece of the truth that has been withheld from me, and which I need in order to see my life more clearly. It may bring acute pain, but it can also flood me with a cold, C-sharp wash of relief. Lisa and I felt that. It made a huge difference to us. Dr. Slapian says, we know the secrets people feel ashamed of, hurt them the most. So how can we reduce the shame? Talking to another person might make all the difference. I pray that Mark also feels relieved. We don't know. He slipped away into the night, and Lisa's efforts to reach him have gone unanswered. But he really gave me the view declaring an end to the secret, finding your voice, speaking up, breaking the spell, and disowning the shame is a hard path to freedom. This is the promise of our great covenant here at Arlington Street, to speak our truths in love.
Andrew, an Arlington Street member of blessed memory who had been raised in a strict Christian home, was taught never, ever to lie. He told us that when someone would come to the door selling something, a Jehovah's Witness came around, or even when a friend would stop by with whom his mother did not want to visit, he was to tell them that this wasn't a good time. She was in the shower, and dutifully she would step into the shower fully clothed and wait until the person had left. It is said that we are only as sick as our secrets. I want to tell you one of my very favorite secret stories with a fabulous, victorious ending. I heard it from Lyle Leibovitz, who grew up in Israel in the 1980s. Lyle had stories both hilarious and cringeworthy about his father's efforts to make him into a real man, taking him to a shooting range every weekend as soon as Lyle turned four, and throughout his childhood making him change the tires on their car, whether the tires needed changing or not, because in his father's mind, knowing how to change a tire is the epitome of real manhood. They went to movies featuring machos, you know, archetypes, Sly Stallone, Chuck Norris, Burt Reynolds. It was really something. Shortly after Lyle's 12th birthday, a lone wolf began robbing banks all over Israel. Dressed in a leather jacket and motorcycle helmet and carrying a huge gun, he was in and out under 40 seconds, never leaving behind any clues to his identity. The press named him the Motorcycle Bandit. He was a huge heartthrob. Women who worked at banks wrote their names and phone numbers on little notes in case he happened to rob their bank, hoping he'd give them a call. To teenage boys, including Lyle, the Motorcycle Bandit became a kind of national icon. At Purim, they all dressed up like him. So when Lyle turned 13, he was home alone one afternoon when three police officers came to the door to tell him they had arrested his father on suspicion that he was the motorcycle bandit. Lyle was incredulous. Look, there's no way, he said, my dad has a beer belly and a receding hairline. My, bad, my dad tells terrible dad jokes. This is just like, there's just no way. Way. The secret was out. He learned that his father would take the money and run, jump on his motorcycle, drive around the corner and up a custom-built ramp into a van. He'd take off his leather jacket and helmet, tuck the gun in his pants, calmly exit the van and walk around the corner into the bank he had just robbed. By that time, the bank was a crime scene, but he'd say something like, oh, I just need to make a quick deposit. My wife will kill me if I don't get this done and he'd deposit the exact same cash he had stolen just minutes earlier, making, apparently making the cash untraceable. Lyle's father went to jail for 20 years. And now that there was no shooting, driving, or tire-changing practice, Lyle was free to wander the city on the weekends. One day, he saw a sign above a theater advertising an all-male Japanese modern dance show. He thought about it, he says, for maybe five seconds. 
And then he did something for which he's certain that his father would disown him. He bought a ticket and went in. And he loved it. Here were elegant, graceful men who weren't punching each other in the face. They were dancing. They were dancing. And they were so confident in their bodies. Lyle thought, if this is another way of being a man, what other ways are there? And so began a two decades long process of figuring out just what kind of man Lyle wanted to be. Some of it didn't surprise him. He loves bourbon. He likes watching sports. But there are other things, like the fact that French poets move him to tears, and that even though he's really, really good at changing tires, he would far prefer to call AAA. When he got out of prison, Lyle's father came to visit him in New York. One evening, they were sitting in the living room, and Lyle's three-year-old son came prancing in. Lyle says, if there's one thing in the world that boy loves, it's his older sister. And if there's one thing in the world that his older sister loves, it's Disney princesses. Lyle's son was dressed like Princess Anna from Frozen. I look at my son, says Lyle, and I look at my father looking at my son, who, by the way, looked amazing in light green taffeta with a black velvet bodice and some lovely lacing. And I know that my father is judging me. But you know what? I don't care. Because at that moment, I realized strangely that by his secret being busted when it was, by going to jail when he did, he didn't just free me from the burden of toxic masculinity, but he also freed up my son to grow up happy boy to become whoever he wants to be, even or especially a pretty, pretty princess. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that instead of going through life as two tough guys, my son and I are free to become whatever kind of real men we want to be. Beloved spiritual companions, it hurts to keep a secret. Not that we have to hide it, but that we have to live with it, isolated and alone. We are only as sick as our secrets. May you find your voice, speak up, wielding truth to break the spell and disown the shame. May you be free. It is important to do this because it breaks down human self-delusion and isolation. It is important to do this because we can count on so few people to go that hard way with us. These are the final lines of Adrian Rich's Women and Honor. It isn't that to have an honorable relationship with you, I have to understand everything or tell you everything at once.
or that I can know beforehand everything I need to tell you. It means that most of the time I am eager, longing for the possibility of telling you. That these possibilities may seem frightening, but not destructive to me. That I feel strong enough to hear your tentative and groping words. That we both know we are trying all the time to extend the possibilities of truth between us. The possibility of life between us. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. An honorable human relationship that is one in which two people have a right to use the word love is a process delicate, violent, often terrifying to both persons involved, a process of refining the truths they can tell each other. It is important to do this because it breaks down human self-delusion and isolation. It is important to do this because in doing so, we do justice to our own complexity. It is important to do this because we can count on so few people to go that hard way with us. I am grateful to be going this way with you. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.